Amen. Amen. We're ready to get going here. I have a couple of announcements, just as reminders. Um, first, a reminder to make sure that uh, you set aside May 1st and 2nd for our Spring Break 2020 conference. May 1st is um, the dates that we've selected for the conference, and we are going to recommend people start booking their hotels uh, very soon so we can get that squared away because there's a cutoff of April 1st. Um, pardon me? We, we have breakfast every year. We have breakfast every year. We have, yeah, well, I can't help that, but we, we do have breakfast every year. Um, and uh, we'll be announcing that more formally um, beginning in a couple of weeks. Second thing is that as a reminder, uh, I will not be here next Sunday because I will be out of town. Mrs. I, the Mrs. and I are going to be traveling. So this is, once again, uh, last call for individuals who want to take the Sunday school class. Um, please see me after class if you are interested in doing so. And, uh, but we are encouraging you to uh, look at it as an opportunity for to not only just take the class, but also to take additional pressure off of Pastor Gus because Pastor Gus is going to be preaching next week and then you have to do a Sunday school class and you're going to be asking, I'm not going to mention any names, I'm not going to mention any names, I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you all use peer pressure to, uh, to get that going, I'm not going to do it. Um, there was some name dropping there attempted there, but I'm not going to do that. And it was a person who was eating his pie right now, so we're not going to go that route. But I'd like to make sure that we have someone step up and do the class next week. So I'm making that announcement. Please see me after class. I would like to have that handed off and have that resolved today. I don't want to have to have to resolve that in the middle of the week while I'm preparing to leave town. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. And so with that in mind, let's go ahead and uh, look to the Lord and we'll get started. We have a new lesson today, as you can see. We're going to go ahead and do that. And uh, let's pray, shall we? Father, thank you for this time that you've given us to set aside this time for you. Lord, we do treasure and value this time in the word with you. We thank you for quieting our souls and spirits to hear you speak to us. We pray that you'll just bless us, Lord, and we give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Lesson number 19. Can the immutable change is the name of the lesson. And this lesson has a fair amount of content to it uh, because I actually infused a couple of Bible studies within the lesson itself. So with that in mind, um, we will start this lesson this week and we'll see how far it takes us. But it's going to be great discussion. One of the things that we're learning about these types of studies that we do, and I hope you're learning these things, is that if you have an idea of who God is based upon your own personal studies, you find that sometimes when you get into studies like this, you'll, it'll make you start thinking, and thinking in a very good way. We had some great discussion over the last few weeks about prayer and how God answers prayer and how he chooses to answer prayer. But the one thing we want to make sure that we are also understanding, too, is that you are still learning about the Lord Jesus Christ every single day. Amen? You are still learning. There is still an, an ongoing growth of understanding 
When we talk about the Lord has mysterious ways, mysterious ways, well, that's out of the ordinary, isn't it? Those are ways that we can't always predict. And we need to learn from those things that as we experience them. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and get started. Jennifer Rothschild is, of course, the uh, JR referenced on your handout. And uh, you notice that it has a, a big lettering at the top there. Do you have an I in your name? Jennifer does. Sarah used to. Okay. In Genesis 17:15, Abraham's wife Sarah's name was changed. She was originally named Sarai, and believe me, while her name was Sarai, she had a big letter I in it. Now, follow where this is going. Okay? God had promised that she would bear a child. But his plan didn't unfold in Sarai's perfect timing. So since she thought that God may have erred, she took matters into her own hands. She basically said, I have a promise. See Genesis 15, 4 and 5. Well, let's go to that. Let's not rush through this. Genesis chapter 14, 15, excuse me, verses 4 and 5. Mm-hmm. Genesis 15, 4 and 5. Now this is God speaking to Abram. Notice his name is Abram at the time. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to them, said to him, so shall your offspring be. Now, for Sarai to know this, guess what? Abram had to share it with her. Okay. And there's also, go to 17, Genesis 17. Verse 16. Now here, this is where he is now, Abraham. (laughs) There's a lot of name changing going on in Genesis, isn't there? I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Let's read 17 just for fun. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child. Okay? And we need to understand, everyone, these are literal years we're speaking of here. We're not talking about, you know, today's, we're talking about today's standards of a 100-year-old person, a 90-year-old person having a child, as opposed to the typical, well, most women now, there are a lot of women now having their kids and kids in their 40s, which is uh, a medical type of uh, uh, achievement, frankly. Uh, because typically that's not looked upon as being very healthy, but they're doing it. But now we're talking about more than double that. Now look at what Sarai says. I have a promise. I have borne no children, but I have a slave. Go to Genesis 16.1. Genesis 
Genesis 16.1. It says in 16.1, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. She told Abram, since God has kept me from having a child, since obviously God's ways aren't perfect, I will give you Hagar and maybe I will build a family through her. See Genesis 16:2, And there it is. And Sarai said to Abram, behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant that it may be that I'll, I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Well, yeah, of course he's going to listen. What is he asking him to do? You know, be fruitful and multiply in that way, I suppose. All right, let's move on. Let's summarize. Let me summarize for Sarai. I know better than God. My way is perfect, not his. Now, before you judge her harshly, be very cautious And look at how you respond in the flesh. Look at how you respond in the flesh. We are very fleshly people. Amen? When things don't go our way, we are really fleshly people. And we act in such a way where I am, we are entitled to do certain things. God says that he has our best interests at heart, but I want to take it one step further. And that's a fleshly response. And that's exactly what Sarai was doing here. Because she was being impatient. She didn't want to wait for God's promise to take place. She wanted to push the envelope and get start stuff, stuff started very quickly in her mind. And yes, that's basically saying, I know better than God. My way is perfect, not his. Because Sarai had a big letter I, she did not rest in God's plan. Rather, she resisted it. Did you notice that resist has a big I in it? And so does sin and pride. When we have a big letter I, we resist God's perfect plan. I want my way. I know best. I think my plan is perfect. Do we every now and then feel that way? We think We have a better way of doing things sometimes than what God has told us. So we need to be very conscious of this. And I appreciate what Jennifer Rothschild is doing here in this particular exercise. But what, if you read in Genesis, this is what's been going on all through the reading of the Genesis. You you see Abraham, Abram doing what he wanted to do. Sarai doing what he wanted to do. This is ongoing. Why is that? Because they're human beings just like you and me. They are in the flesh just like you and me. They're human beings. 
We sometimes look at people in the Bible as superhuman. Abram was not superhuman. Sarai was not superhuman. He was a human being. She was a human being. That committed sin and was prideful just like anybody else. And we need to understand where that sin and where that pride comes from. Satan stirs us up to commit prideful acts. Amen? Amen. Absolutely. So we need to recognize exactly what is happening here. Satan does not want to see you succeed. Satan wants you to go ahead and do stuff outside of God's will. That's exactly what he wants. Always know that. God's way is perfect because he does not err even when we do. In Genesis 21.1, God came to Sarah as he said and did as he promised. Go to Genesis 21.1. Now, we have to read ahead, obviously, further ahead in Scripture. But in Genesis 21, look what it says in verse 1. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. Isn't it interesting how God says that he's going to do something, and he does it. He does it. The thing that messes with us is that he doesn't do it according to our expectation or our timing. He does it on his own timing. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at that time, which God had spoken to him. Okay. Look at verse 6. And Sarah said... God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Now you can't pick up on the level of emotion that Sarah is expressing in these last two verses here we just read. I promise you she's over the top. Over the top with emotion. She cannot believe that God did exactly what he said he would do. And not only did it, but did it in her old age. Exactly as he had promised. So this was a teachable moment for Sarah. Do you know how you get overwhelmed when God blesses you and gives you and fulfills a promise that you never would have conceived of? And yet here it is. The words on the page cannot convey to you the -the over-the-top level of emotion that Sarah is experiencing here. Probably would have been better if it was read more with an exclamation, an open declaration where everybody in her neighborhood could hear her screaming with satisfaction. And I mean that in all seriousness. Because that's what happens when God fulfills something that is so unbelievable. You couldn't conceive of it, and yet he does exactly what he says he's going to do.
God came to Sarah as he did, did and had, as he had promised. Sarah became pregnant, bore a son at God's appointed time. At God's appointed time. Notice how that sound goes off as soon as I say at God's appointed time. So now I'm going to always associate that sound with that phrase. No, I'm just kidding. At God's appointed time. If I say something outrageous enough, my wife might throw something at me, but that usually happens at home. But maybe she won't. Maybe I won't. That's okay. All right, we're moving on now. Next. As Job said, I know that you can do anything and no plan of yours can be thwarted. That's in Job 42.2. I know you can do anything and no plan of yours can be thwarted. Look at that verse and understand that that should be our way of thinking when it comes to how we look to God at all times. God is going to accomplish his plan. Amen? God is going to have his will accomplished. Because that's what he is all about. God always accomplishes his perfect plan. There are no missing pieces in his plan because he does not err. Now, I notice I'm saying God does not err because that basically is what we have to understand if we don't trust him. We are not trusting in his judgment when we act in the flesh. We are not trusting his judgment for us when we do things outside of his will. So this is something we have to be very conscious of moving forward. And we'll get into this a little bit more in detail. Can the immutable change? Ask yourself this question. What is your willingness and ability to change? What is your willingness and ability to change? Now, let me mention something here, too. In order for you to acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, what did you have to do? You had to change. You had to make a change. You had to make a choice outside of your own way of thinking and trusting that Jesus Christ is going to do what? Fulfill the promises about eternal life and salvation that you read and study about. You had to make a change. Now, for some people, change is very difficult. Amen? Why is change difficult for some people? Some people are very comfortable in the ways that they are living, in what they're doing. Change is tough for some people. And Let's look at it this way. Sometimes it should be tough. If you are in a certain place, you need to wrestle with that a little bit. If you're faced with change. Because that means that you will accept change much more readily as you're wrestling with it. Let's look at this example here in this study. My friend Tamers, not a typo, her name is Tamer, like a hammer, Tamara's husband is one of the most non-changing people I know. That should be changing, not hanging. Non-changing people I know. For example, Don has had the same job at the same company, doing the same thing 
for 24 years. He's driven the same truck for a decade. In fact, when he wrecked his truck, he replaced it with the exact same truck, the same color, and even the same year. That's, he's very comfortable. You think that's, <laughs> that is funny, but that's exactly what he did. I got to tell you something. I have a 2012 Ford Fusion right now that has 251,000 miles on it. And if I wanted to get another Ford Fusion, I might look very seriously <laughs> at a car very similar to that because that thing is running like a top. It really is. I have never had a car run for 251,000 miles. And it's rolling like yesterday. It's just doing its own thing. But it makes me want to look at another Ford Fusion. And it makes me want to look at a car that has a very similar build because those cars, that engine, just put some, put some synthetic oil in that sucker and that puppy's going to run. Okay. Let's continue. He's eaten plain noodles since childhood. No sauces ever. He eats salad with no dressing. What? He never has, and I'm sure he never will. How do you eat a salad with no dressing? I'm not really sure. Something about that dressing hitting those, those tomatoes and, oh, somebody, did he put you on full blast? You don't, you eat a salad with no dressing. Okay. Okay, very good. Well, right on, y'all. I got to have some dressing on my salad. I don't know about you. That's just me. He actually wears the same clothes he has worn since his 20s. And now he's pushing 50. The same styles, same colors. If one garment gets a hole in it, he replaces it with the exact same one. That's not that hard when all he wears is jeans and golf shirts. Thank goodness he's still not in bell bottoms. But if, <laughs> what? But the de, if the denim company deviates from their normal manufacturing process, woe be unto them. Don would be would not longer be a customer. The painstaking process of finding new jeans he can wear for 30 years makes his blood pressure soar. He's got to have the same type of jeans. I'm guessing it's the same manufacturer. It's the same place. And, you know, manufacturing, they change manufacturing all the time, these companies. They, you, you go out and buy a pair of jeans, and you think you're buying size 42-32 on one style, and then we'll 42-32 on another. Guess what? Two different pairs of jeans, two different fitting sizes. How in the world can that happen, right? That's a different manufacturing process. Somebody didn't measure properly. Maybe they were irregular or whatever it was. But I learned that lesson, too. I'm wearing these 42-32 jeans. These things looking like they're... I'm in the hood somewhere wearing these baggy jeans going down my leg. Like, what is that? Okay, enough of that. Let's move on. He has never used any tool but Craftsman from Sears. Some of you brothers can appreciate that. Craftsman tools. You remember back in the day, Craftsman tools, right? He says they are durable, and if they break, he gets a new one. The exact one. He loves the old-time Christian singers like George Beverly Shea. Who remembers George Beverly Shea? You remember him. Deep voice guy. It's not that the new ones aren't good. And I put a note in there. They're not. They're, they're not good. 
Uh, it's just that he is happy with the ones he has listened to since 1972. Why change? When I call Tamara, I ask her, how's Don? And her answer is the same. And no doubt, she really means it. He is the same. Yesterday, today, and I bet tomorrow too. But even Don changes. We all do. We all change from time to time. In other words, you are mutable. Note that word in, in mutable. You are mutable. Next page, page two. Write some synonyms for mutable. Use a dictionary or thesaurus if needed. Now, you can use a dictionary or thesaurus. If you go further down the page, you'll see some synonyms for mutable. But why don't you tell me what you think mutable is in your own mind? Pardon me? Willing to change. Yeah, change. Right. Mutate. Ah, mutate. You're using a fancy... Uh, that's right. That's right. Very true. Anyone else? Okay. You could look it up, but it, it, it says it right down below if you look at it. I know. It's like... We'll go right through, go through the exercise. I'm going to give you the answer, right? To be mutable is to be changeable, variable. It also means inconsistent, fluctuating, or alterable. That definition right there in my, is my testimony. This is Jennifer referring to it. I change a lot. When it comes to food, fashion, home decor, and even my spiritual life, I'm the queen of mutable. Do we share that throne? All of us humans are prone to change, but God claims he is not. Aha! That's what we're getting at here. God claims he is not mutable. He does not change. We change all the time. Even this guy, Don, even though he goes and buys the same clothes, drives the same truck, does the same things, he still changed too. What did he do to change? He got older. That's one thing that you couldn't, can't control. He got, he got older. He went from 20 to 50. You know, I became a believer in, in, at 26, age 26 myself. I'm 60 now. I've had to do a lot of changing from that time, from when I was 26 to today where I'm 60. There's a change that had to take place, even in the midst of my declaring Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. Change had to take place. But yet God... Claims he does not change. Amen? He does not change. So we do change. He does not. At the very beginning of the nation of Israel, in Numbers 23, it contains the story of Balaam and Balak. The latter was king of Moab. He hired Balaam to curse Israel. But the results were less than satisfactory to Balak. Let's take a look at Numbers 23. By the way, just as a sidebar, one of the things that's really important for us to continue to do as we look at studies every Sunday 
is for you to continue to do your daily Bible reading. Uh, I highly recommend the two-year Bible reading plan. It takes you through the Bible in a two-year period. And it takes you actually through Psalms and Proverbs in one year. But the two-year plan takes you through the Old Testament and the New Testament, and it's a great reading experience because you know what happens? You wind up reading stuff that you would not normally pick up and read. You just won't read it. You won't think about that. When people go to a passage like John or in the First Corinthians, this and type, people don't think about going to Numbers half the time to read it. But the Bible plan will take you through all those passages and show you very interesting stories within those passages that you need to glean on. So I highly recommend and will continue to recommend that you do your daily reading and use the two-year plan. Okay? So let's look what it says in Numbers 23. Starting with verse... verse, Let's look here... Verse 19, God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Verse 20, behold, I receive a command to bless. He has blessed and I cannot revoke it. He has not beheld misfortune in Jacob. Nor has he seen trouble in Israel. The Lord their God is with them, and the shout of a king is among them. Okay. What did God say about himself in Numbers 23, verses 19 through 21? What did he say? You just read it. God does not change in his word. God doesn't change, period. God does not change. But what, what else is he doing here? Who is he comparing himself to? Man. Man. God, does not, God is not man that he should lie. Because what do we do? We lie. We lie. We will lie and we will lie. We caught somebody in a lie the other day, didn't we? That's right. You can't help themselves. Something selfish, something dumb. Didn't even have to do it. Some people do stuff that are so dumb. And they lie, but you don't even have to lie. Just tell the truth. Just speak up. Just say something that makes sense. Why do you have to lie? Well, people lie to do what? To make themselves look better. There's a motivation behind it now. I mean... Some people lie. It may be for the dumbest stuff you've ever seen. I'll just tell it like it is. I'm not the pastor, okay? So I'll just tell it like it is. Some people lie for the dumbest, the stupidest stuff you've ever seen in your life. But they do it for their own personal benefit. They think they're helping themselves. God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. We change our minds all the time. Amen? Amen. Okay. What else? Anything else there that I'm missing? The word claim? Yes. That's right. Exactly. Okay. 
Well, he's just speaking about who he is. Right. Okay. All right. The first thing God tells Balak is that he doesn't change or lie. What God says, he does. Now, Sarai had to learn that too, Sarah. Even though she tried to do all kinds of stuff. And I mean all kinds of stuff before the promise actually got fulfilled. She was doing all kinds of stuff. Okay. God does not change his word. How important is it that God doesn't change his word? Let's think about that for a moment. Does that mean everything? It means everything. If God changed his word, there's no reason for you to be here today. There's no reason for you to go to church today. There's no reason for you to be even looking at Jesus Christ. If God has changed his word, there is no reason to be here. Go on off and live on your own. Because you cannot rely upon his word if it changes. That's how important that is. If we are worshiping a God that is flighty, And inconsistent, we've got real problems. Real problems. But thankfully, we don't worship a God like that. It's very important for us to see that God does not change. Many centuries later, the prophet Malachi reminds Israel that the only reason they haven't been destroyed is the constancy of God. Go to Malachi 3.6. Look, we're diving all over the Old Testament today, aren't we? Look at Malachi 3.6. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. Malachi 3.6 says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. In other words, you're still alive because I have been very consistent with my word. I haven't wiped you out, even though you deserve to be wiped out. But because I am true to myself, and I've kept my word, and I'm keeping my word, you're still here. And you know what? We can say the exact same thing about us. We absolutely can't have to say, because in our flesh, remember, without Jesus Christ, who are we? Where are we? We don't have anything without Jesus Christ. So we need to see these passages. We need to be reassured That God is going to always be true to himself because he is truth. He does not lie. He knows what lies are, but he doesn't do it. He stays true to his holy and merciful character no matter what. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. No matter what. You know when you've been at your worst. Amen? 
You know when you've been at your absolute worst. You know when you've done stuff you know you shouldn't have done. Amen? Yeah. In the New Testament, we see applied to our lives the principles applied to Israel in the Old Testament. Let's go to Romans 11. Verses 28 through 36. Romans 11, 28 through 36. Remember, these are the principles applied to Israel in the Old Testament. They're being applied to us. It's just a transition over now to the way we, are, we live, we, the way we are to live. Verse 28. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Remember that word. Irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. Remember that verse. I'll come back to that. Oh, the depth of of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Amen. All right. What did God say about our gifts and callings in Romans 11:29? This is part of God's character is what you're seeing. What is he saying? He says they're what? Irrevocable. Irrevocable. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Can't take them back. That's the word. That's what you need to see. He can't take them back. It is his character to make them irrevocable. That's who he is. That's his nature. He's not giving a gift one day and coming back. Oh, no, I'm not going to take it back. Nothing like that. He gives it. And he gives it willingly. And he gives it freely because that's his character. That's his love for you. That's what we need to see. That's how much he loves you. You know, when you're praying for something, and we've had this whole exercise about God answering prayer, and the prayer may be a prayer, it may be a a prayer like for something very simple, it may be something very detailed, maybe a very long prayer, it may take years But how do you feel when you know that prayer has been answered? It's unbelievable. Amen? 
Because it, one, he answered your prayer because he was listening the entire time. He was responding and setting up the stage for that thing to be answered in such a way where you would see it and you would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God had responded to you and answered it. So that all you can do is act like Sarah going through the streets. I cannot believe I had a child at age 90. But you have to see that he answers prayer and he gives those gifts and he won't withhold them from you. For those who are seeking after him, he will answer you. And he'll give you gifts. And that calling of God is irrevocable. Now let's go down. There was a verse I picked out here. Where is it? I can find it. Verse 32. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. What is it to be consigned to disobedience? What do you think it means? Go ahead. Take a stab at it. (laughs) Same passage, verse 32. Yeah. Yes. That's a fair comment. Faith is shaking her head affirmative. What does it mean to be consigned to disobedience is what I was saying. Sorry. Consigned. Consigned. Imprisoned. Okay, very good. You're locked in. We are in a certain state in our flesh, aren't we? We have a nature that is disobedient to God. That's your seat. That's where you are. Exactly. See, it's very important to go through these exercises because we need to see exactly what words are that we're reading on the page. We don't want to assume anything. We want to talk it through. So to be consigned to disobedience means that we are in a state that now does what? Requires us to recognize God's mercy. Because we can't get out of this state that we're in. We are imprisoned in these bodies. This is who we are. We can't change that part of us. But now we do what? We recognize in God's perfection, in God's grace, in God's mercy, we are indebted to him because of what he does for us. Because he hasn't destroyed us. You get that? He hasn't destroyed us. It's giving you a picture of what God has done for us through his grace, his mercy, Dying on the cross for us. Showing how much he loves us because we can't do anything to get saved. He had to do it for us. He had to be the perfect sacrifice for us. So now you have a greater picture of what that passage means. We are imprisoned 
in our disobedience, but he has mercy on us, and we see that mercy. Okay, that's a good place to stop. That was the second bell? Okay, that's a good place to stop. So the takeaways for today are for you to see the importance that we worship and serve an unchanging God. That is everything. That is everything and everything some more. What's that, Roscoe? Everything is everything, right? Okay. It is everything. Very important. So we'll continue this study, but this is, you see how deep we're getting into this now. We're really thinking about the importance of seeing God's character as we look at this study going forward. We change all the time, even though we may have our little quirks, we have our little idiosyncrasies, where we kind of stay on one thing at one time. We still change. But God doesn't change. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for this time that you've given us to look at your word and examine your word and study your word and just kind of let it marinate and go over a little bit more. We thank you for what you're teaching us about yourself. We thank you for your very presence. We pray that you just bless us now as we move forward today. We thank you, Lord, for how you truly do speak to us. We also pray now for the upcoming message and the speaker. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. I will see you in a couple of weeks. So hopefully we'll have somebody take the class next week. Amen. Come on, let's go right here. <laughs> Rub it in.